Thank you, Stanley. It's, uh, let me just say, I appreciate that worship set. Wasn't that awesome? Well, that was awesome. And uh, Stanley doesn't know anything. He'd never seen me till uh, probably about half hour ago. And I'd never seen him, but uh, it doesn't matter. We're brothers in Christ, and we're here together to worship. Your pastor is somewhere between Arkansas and Jacksonville. He's probably about Mississippi right now, so you desperately need to pray for him. Okay, I can say that kiddingly because I know he's from Mississippi, and uh, I as well. Uh, It's interesting, we grew up about 30 miles from each other, 30 or 40 miles, and only 30 or 40 miles and four um, decades separate us from being close friends. But we are close friends in Christ uh, you are blessed to have this young man as your pastor. I want you to know that. I've uh, been doing this a long time, seen a lot of pastors, been to a lot of churches, and I want to say to you, you're blessed to have Jimbo Stewart uh, as your pastor. Uh, and so uh, I'm just glad to be here. Uh, my my job these days, I, I'm in my 70s and I got a new job, and I'll be 75 in a couple of months, and I got a new job about four months ago. I am the missional strategist for community engagement of the Jacksonville Baptist Association. Uh, The 12 years prior to that, I was pastor of San Jose Baptist Church across the river and uh, was blessed to be here. Before that, for 26 years, I played in the woods. I I was a director of a Christian outdoor adventure program, and I got to spend my days doing backpacking, rock climbing, rappelling, caving, and riding mountain bikes down mountains. And uh, uh, we did it for, for Christian groups, and so uh, that was, that, that's pretty well my history. Uh, but you don't need to know me, you need to know the one I'm going to talk about this morning. And our, our goal, our responsibility today is to make it all about Jesus, okay? And so uh, we're going we're gonna to share together in God's Word for a few minutes and I want to ask you, if you will, to turn in your Bible to First uh, Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. If you don't have your Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, please feel free to not only use it during this service. By the way, it's page 857. Uh, if you're looking for the page number, uh, it's not a real big uh, letter, so it, uh, it's kind of hard to find sometimes. But feel free to take this, and, and, and I want you to do this. I want you to make a promise that you'll read the story that's in the first part of this. It's the call the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he can change your life and wants to change your life and give you abundant life. doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. He wants to give you. I'm going to give you my testimony in 15 seconds. Do you believe I can do that? I ask a, I ask a young lady, in fact, a young lady in Maple Street Biscuit Company uh, in Murray Hill uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I did the same thing yesterday. I got Lowe's. I said, I want to tell you my life story in 15 seconds. Now, for somebody that's lived this long, uh, it's, um, you know, it's, you'd say, you can't tell your story. I can tell you the most important part of my story in 15 seconds. I lived in rebellion and confusion for many years in my life, but someone told me that Jesus Christ could give me abundant life, and I turned from my sins, and I trusted him, and since then, he has given me purpose and meaning 
and and in my life. That's my story in somewhere around 15 seconds. By the way, I would encourage you to learn how to give your testimony in 15 seconds and start gospel conversations. The reason why, folks, in case you haven't realized it, people aren't flocking to our churches today. They tell us that in the United States that 60% of the people in our country will never darken the door of a church. They're just not going to go. Uh, it's just the way it is, and that number is probably going to increase. We're not far behind Canada, which which is it's worse there. So we have got to go out into our communities and engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some people say, "Well, I can't witness." Let me tell you something, folks. If you can tell if you can tell somebody about a good deal of on a weed whacker or a coffee maker from Walmart, you can tell them about the gospel. Okay. And so let me encourage you to do that. That's my first sermon. Now we'll go to the second one, which is 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Now, I'm reading in a different translation. Now, Jimbo told me he uses ESV. Um, I didn't realize, though, that uh, what's going to be on the screen, uh, we are going to have it on the screen, right? Uh, You're going to see uh, the ESV. That's okay. There's going to be just a few word discrepancies, but the message is still there. Uh, we couldn't put it on the, in the original language because that's Greek, and I don't read Greek. Um, I, I just never quite made it. I had, I had difficulty learning English. And so uh, anyway, uh, you're going to see it in the ESV. But I'm going to begin reading at verse 7 and go from there. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain Constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the manifold of the varied grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when the glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. Hey, that's interesting. Notice, (laughs) you notice that a gossiper is uh, included with murder. That's an interesting little thing there. Uh, But anyway, verse 16, but if anyone suffers... As a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator 
while doing what is good. Let's pray. Father God, I have no ability within myself to help people understand your word. Only the Holy Spirit, the author, the divine author of your word gives us insight and understanding. And I pray that today you would shine your light, the light of your spirit upon these words and ignite our hearts with a holy passion because we have been instructed and equipped by reading your word. As that passage says, Father, may those who speak, speak the word of God. And that's what I've come to do today. May we understand today we have not come to worship men and we have not come to acknowledge the pursuits or accomplishments of mankind, but we have come solely to make much of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, our our sermon uh, topic this morning is how to live like a Cheeto in a potato chip world. Now, let me explain to you. I stole part of this from, anybody here know who Tim Hawkins is? Christian comedian. Guy's hilarious. Uh, Google him sometime or go to YouTube. Uh, great musician, uh, good Christian. I uh, was recently here in Jacksonville. I didn't get to see him, but... But he, he talks about uh, living as a Twinkie in, um, I forget now, a ding-dong world, I believe it is. But I want to talk to you about being a Cheeto in a potato chip world. Let me understand. Let me, let me help you understand. The other day, I, I mean, I love Cheetos, okay? I, I've just gotten hooked on them. I don't know if Betty Ford has a center, uh, you know, that helps people get off of Cheetos, but I may... Have to because I've been in an expansion program recently, and I keep a bag in my desk at the office, which is dangerous. We need to have a throwing away party in my office. But I, I like Cheetos. I like the crunchy kind, uh, and, and they're really, really good. Uh, and the interesting thing about them is um, they not only taste good, but they're entertaining. Have you ever noticed? Um, you ever noticed how you see? I picked up one the other day. Looked just like Willie Nelson. I won't comment any further than that, but it looked a lot like Willie Nelson. I, had, I picked up another one the other day, and I find myself looking at them before I eat them. And if they're really nice, I'll put them aside and, and, and come back because I believe there's a sermon in there somewhere. Uh, Cheetos are like humans. We're all created. We're all created equal, but we're all created according to God's design. Well, I picked up one this past week that I guarantee you, when I say this, you young people are going to say, who's that? Um, but you older folks will know it looked just like Alf. You remember Alf on the television show? It had that long nose, and, and, uh, but it looked just like Alf. But it's entertaining. You see what you're eating, and then you eat it, and then you get a second blessing. And by that, I mean, by that I mean you get to lick your fingers, and all that good cheese stuff comes off, uh, which you know is not right to do in public. But when you're in the office, nobody sees. But... Uh, the, the whole object of this, and I'll get to the point, is I'm standing, I'm standing in, in the aisle of the grocery store, and I'm looking at the chip display. Have you, ever, have you ever stopped to take that in? Now, I've been on the earth a long, long time, and when I was a child, you had one kind of potato chip. Do you, I realized this week I was born pre-barbecue potato chips. Did you know that? That's a long time ago. You had one kind of potato chips, just plain old potato chip, potato chip with a lot of salt on it. 
you walk into the grocery store now and you look and it's like 60 feet long. There's all kinds, you know, key lime pie, potato chips. I mean, there's everything there. And you're looking at all that and you're looking for a bag of Cheetos. And finally, you know, I'm looking for that magical little red, orange, and yellow bag. And finally, I zero on, uh, in on it, and it's surrounded. This hit my mind. This is exactly what was happening in the day of Peter. They weren't living like Cheetos. Let me, th- th- don't miss the point. Here's the essence. If you were living in the first century... You were lit as a believer, you were a minority, a severe minority. Not only that, you were a persecuted minority. Um, Remember, Nero burned Rome and blamed the Christians. And so immediately Christians had a bad name and and there was intense persecution. When when Peter wrote 1 Peter, he's writing to these persecuted believers and he's trying to say to them, This is important. You're living in amidst a very difficult situation, and you are in a situation where it is time for you to focus on certain things. Now, when you get to chapter 4, he's closing out. He's closing out his letter. He's winding down. uh, The next passage, by the way, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, is one of my favorites. It talks about elders. But I can't go there. I have to leave that for Jimbo, okay? Or he might get me. But, but in the passage that we're seeing today, what he's doing, he is zeroing in on some very important aspects of what it means to live as a believer in the first century. By the way, time has changed. Uh, things have come and things have gone. We have a very different lifestyle. But today, today, these same Timeless truths are applicable to our lives today. So what I want us to do is I, I'm gonna, I, we're going to walk through this passage, and it's a long passage. By the way, I guarantee you there's about a half a dozen sermons in that passage that we see there today. In fact, you could just about take every single verse and preach a sermon on it because there are no wasted words in this passage. But I'm going to, what we're going to do today is we're going to explain it in three points, a total of six words. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to say six words and we're going home, okay? Yeah, I, that, I don't want to give you false hope. I just want to be sure. He says that he preaches about an hour and a half. Is that right? I'm kidding. Some of you will panic. We'll have to dial 911. Uh, no, I'm not going to preach that long. But what I want to do today is I'm going to, I'm going to take... uh, Three phrases, three two-word phrases, and we're going to walk through this passage. The first one is this, be alert. What is Peter saying? Listen to what he says in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. What is he saying? He's saying be alert and be sober-minded. For the sake of prayer. What does he say? To be alert is to not be surprised by what comes to us. Do not be surprised at what you hear and see in our culture. I have come to the point 
with all of the media attention on everything that goes down in our culture and all the information that's available uh, on the internet, I am I am to the point where I basically am no longer surprised about anything I hear. But folks, we need to. What he's saying is, you need to understand the day in which you live. You need to understand the culture in which you live. Uh, I am reminded in the 17th chapter of the Apostle Paul, who goes to the city of Athens. And when he gets to the city of Athens, he looks at it, and he is not only enamored, I'm sure, by the culture and all the things that are going on in that city, but what, what he saw in his city, the city that he was visiting, what he saw in Athens was not just the, uh, the arts and the sciences and the knowledge and the wisdom that was there, but most of all, he looked at the city of Athens and he saw it was a city that desperately needed Jesus Christ. He was unimpressed. In fact, if you go back and look at that passage and read it, you'll find out that he was basically agitated by what he saw. I want to ask you this morning, what do you see? When you look at Jacksonville, Florida, see, uh, Jacksonville is a nice place to live. I, I love Jacksonville. Been here 12 years. I love this city. It's a great city. Um, I've lived in Orlando. I've lived in the Miami area, and we moved here from the mountains of North Georgia. Most people our age go the other direction. They're getting out of here and going to the mountains, but we came the other way because God had a call on our lives. But when you look at the city of Jacksonville, what do you see? It is a city of uh, a metro area of well over a million people. A thousand square miles. The other day, I, uh, one day, one afternoon, on a Monday afternoon, I had a meeting in Ponte Vedra near the beach. The next morning for breakfast, I had a meeting in Glen St. Mary, which is part of our association, 58 miles separate those two appointments and so we live in a vast city with a population and 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 what we would probably understand when we look at our city is probably 90 percent of the people in jacksonville do not know jesus christ you say oh that's ridiculous man we got churches on every corner folks don't let the fact that we have churches on every corner indicate that we got believers in every church we we got we have churches in our city where there are not a lot of believers it's just one of those things because when you begin to look and judge what uh, the fruit of what we see in our churches compared to what we see in this word we're miles and miles apart now i'm not trying to be judgmental but listen I want you to understand it is wise that we understand that we're alert enough to see the situation we're in. You can't stand on the deck of the, of the Titanic knee-deep in ice-cold water and say, you got to think positive. Everything's going to be all right. Harsh realities are here. We need to understand. We need to be alert that we are, critically, we are in a critical spiritual situation. In our city, we're starting some prayer meetings last last uh, uh, last Tuesday morning at seven o seven a.m. Based on Matthew seven seven, uh, we met at Stinson Park, not far from here, and had a prayer meeting. A small group of pastors. Your pastor was there. Tomorrow, uh, excuse me, Tuesday morning at six ten 
a.m. And some of you didn't. There is a 610? Yeah, there's a 610. And and, uh, in the morning, the reason why we're meeting at that hour is some people have to go to work. Some people have to uh, attend to other things. And so we're meeting at 610 based on Matthew Matthew 610 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is is praying the disciples' prayer. And he says in, in that verse, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're praying that the kingdom of God would be advanced in our city. We desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached. The last time I looked, as far as crime goes, we were ranked 21st in the nation as far as some of the real bad crime uh, things go in our cities ranked above a place like Chicago and some of the other places, we have a situation that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can save us from ourselves. Folks, listen. Be alert. Be sober. By saying be sober, he's not saying... He's not saying don't, you know, it's not talking about drinking. It's not talking about being. It, what he's talking about is allowing the difficulty of our situation to cause us to have a proper evaluation of the culture in which we live. It is a serious situation. We desperately need the gospel. The second thing I want to say to you this morning, because he says it in this passage, love consistently Love constantly, okay? Uh, um, it's love cons- constantly or love consistently. There, when you look at the passage, and if you're reading it in the ESV, I checked it again this morning. There, there is a word in there that that reminds us. It's a Greek word that says that we need to constantly being lo- be loving or demonstrating love. You want to know what ails our churches and what ails our country is a need for the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I did not watch the I did not watch the wedding yesterday. Now, I'm not going to ask who did and who didn't. Uh, I was up not long after four o'clock, but it wasn't to watch the wedding. Just so you know, uh, I you know I've heard guys say, "Oh, I wouldn't watch that." This, that, and the other, but. The television was on. I left the television on in the living room, and I'm sitting at my computer in my office at home, and I hear in the background somebody preaching. <laughs> and I mean, he did a good job, folks. And one of the things, I mean, you can't get that in America. They talk about Britons being dull and, and spiritually out of it. Man, he he literally said some wonderful things. And we Baptists need to learn from that Episcopalian. I mean, it was, there were some good things that were said. And one of the things he said, we talked about was love. And, and we cannot ignore that not only Peter, but Paul consistently remind us that the center of our relationship, our relationships, plural, is an intense love for God and an intense love for our fellow man. And, and sometimes we, we do a little bit better at loving God than we do our neighbor. The only problem is John would tell us that if you say you love God and don't love your brother, 
he says, you're a liar. Love is, needs to be consistent. And he says that. Now, I want you to, I want you to think for, with me for just a moment on kind of how this passage looks. Uh, a lot of times when you see in Scripture the concept of love, you'll see love mentioned, and then you'll see some other characteristics. For instance, uh, uh, in, um, uh, we're told in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness. Love is listed first. Why? That, that's the way they did things. They would list in that culture this most important thing first. And so many times you'll hear people say, basically what Paul was saying when he wrote to the church, love is the main topic, and all of these other things under there, listed under there, are indicators of how love is demonstrated and, and, and the fruit of love as it is being produced. Now, here, Peter says this, verse 8, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Okay? And then he goes on, verse 10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let, let it be as one who speaks God's words. And if anyone serves, let it be from the strength of God who provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be glory uh, and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want you to notice something. He says, love, let love be constant. In other words, don't turn our love on and off. We, we have a, one of our problems is we try to implement selective love. See, it's, it's, it's easy to love people that agree with us and love us, and hang with us, and be our buds, and our friends on social media, and all those things. But he does, he's not talking about a love that is selective. He's not talking about a love that, it, that works over here and doesn't work over there. He's talking about a life that just oozes the love of Jesus Christ. The love of God is being demonstrated in that life. He says, I want you to understand... You're living in tough times. There's persecution. There's difficulty. You need to understand you need to love constantly and consistently. And how is it demonstrated? First of all, he says it's done by being hospitable, by learning to demonstrate our love to others by serving them. He talks about service. He talks about being hospitable. And notice one other thing. He says... Without complaining, without complaining, we have in our American culture, we have literally taken complaining to a religious movement just about it. It is constant. It is, it is something that you see constantly and you hear nothing but wine Wine, wine. I have a, I have in my office a plaque that says no whining. Uh, I brought it from camp because the camp that we ran in North Georgia was a stress camp. Um, we worked with teenagers and what we did is they'd come to our camp for five days in the summer 
and we would teach them uh, discipline. We would teach them how to do certain things. For instance, if we said we were going to start our worship time at 9 o'clock, uh, if the entire team was not there, we'd take the entire team on a one-mile run. And by the way, that promotes worship. Uh, if service, if churches would do that, well, anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know what I'm saying. But but what I'm trying to say is is, and 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 there were times if if we got a lot of complaining, we would we would go for a run. Why why were we trying to teach? We were trying to teach a new generation to suck it up, Buttercup. That's exactly what we we were trying to do. We were trying to teach kids to hey. We don't need a culture of complaining. I cannot, I cannot tell you how much damage is being done in our churches by people whining and complaining about this, that, and the other. And it is damaging. It is a cancer that eats at the life of the church of Jesus Christ. And let me say to you this morning, if you're here and you're a whiner, you either need to shut up or be gone, okay? Now, I told Jimbo, I said, I hope, you know, I don't want to get you fired. So, um, but I'm just telling you, I, I grew up in a culture that spoke the truth. I'm from old school, and we have too long failed to discipline people who become divisive in the body of Christ. And that needs to change. Paul said, I mean, Peter says, love constantly, be hospitable, quit, hospitable keep, quit complaining without complaining, serve one another, and continue to be the body of Jesus Christ. And last but not least, he says to them, expect suffering. Look, if you will, at verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. He's saying, uh, and fo- these folks were in, in, in the fire at this point. I, I think it's difficult for we Christians in our modern culture. I think it's difficult for us to understand this book because our, our culture is so drastically different. For instance, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount and he talked about in chapter 6 about the fact that, you know, God's going to take care of you as he takes care of the birds and as he takes care of the flowers, he's going to take care of you. As Jesus spoke those words, many of those people that would hear him that day had no idea where their next meal was coming from. Now, there's hunger in America, but nothing like would have been in that first century. And when we talk about persecution today, we talk about suffering. When we talk about suffering, it's like we're speaking a foreign language to our culture. Now, even as you and I are here in this worship service today, in many areas of Asia and, and Muslim-controlled countries, there are people who will lose their life today for the sake of the gospel. And folks, persecution is real. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about somebody dis- disagreeing with you. 
are disagreeing with me. If I put something on Facebook and I express my opinion and they come back and express theirs, they're not persecuting me. They have a right to do that, right? Now, if they are, if they try to destroy you verbally, then it's a different thing. We don't understand persecution very well in our in our culture. Why? Because it is really not a thing in our culture. But folks, it's coming. You can you can write this down and be assured that in the next ten to twenty years in the United States of America, we're going to see an intensification of persecution of believers. And I'm not talking about just the fact that they disagree with us or anything else. It's coming because everything is lining up. Go back to what he said. Be alert. Be aware. Be sober. Understand what's going on. As Christians, as we continue to live a life in accordance with the teachings of God's Word, we're going to see more and more in isolation. We're going to see, we're going to see Christianity more and more go from being mainstream, which it's already left the mainstream because because we've been we've been marginalized and we're going to eventually be ostracized because our culture as it gets more and more anti god and more anti jesus we're going to see that take place and we need to be prepared what is he trying to say he's trying to say to everybody he wrote to and he describes who he's writing to in chapter 1 verse 1 and everyone that he's writing to He's going to, he's saying to them, I don't care who you are or where you are, you're going to suffer somewhere along the line. Now, we could do a whole series on that, okay? A whole series on persecution and what happens to the church. But it's coming. There is, that day is coming. The, the, the forces are being marshaled socially and a lot of other things. It's, going, it's taking place, and we're going to see an intensification of persecution of believers. We're going to see the church become more and more marginalized, more and more distanced from our culture. Now, as you read that and you say, well, why in the world would anybody in the first century, why in the world would anybody want to become a believer in the first century when you would immediately be persecuted, you'd immediately be ostracized. At those times, they would literally set Christians on fire, put tar on them and set them on fire to light the streets at night. The, the suffering, the persecution was so intense. Why in the world would anyone want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I can tell you exactly why. Because people who come to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he can produce inside, internally, that he can give us eternal life, that he, that he is indeed the master, the savior, and he bids us come and take up our cross and follow him. That savior is worth whatever it takes to follow him, to love him, and to serve him. See, 
somewhere along the line, Christianity has become, oh, you just come to a non, in a non-persecuting environment. You just come and you join the church and you enjoy all the benefits. And, and, and you, you, you know, it's, it's a whole social structure. Folks, Christianity is the willingness that we have as believers to sell out totally and completely to Jesus Christ. I'm going to share this one thing with you. I want to share another, uh, an extended part of my testimony. I shared it 15 second wise earlier, give or take. But I want to tell you what revolutionized my life. I was, I was saved at age 12. But no one discipled me. And at, eight, at 18, I went off to college to play football. That's the only reason why I went. And I have the grades to prove it if I can find them somewhere. And I went to, off to college to play football, but the college I went to had a spiritual emphasis week. And I was sitting in an auditorium one night when not a preacher, but a grocery man from Texas, a layman, a speaker, got up and challenged us to follow Jesus Christ. And Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, changed my life. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Any person who knew, who stood outside the walls of Jerusalem and watched as men carried their crosses toward Golgotha, they knew that this was a one-way trip. What Jesus was saying that in that environment in Matthew chapter 16. He's saying this. He's saying to those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, if you will come after me and follow me, you have to be you have to allow your personal interests to be crucified and live the crucified life. That's why the people in Peter's day lived for Jesus Christ regardless of the suffering regardless of the difficulty. That's why today Christianity is losing its impact because, listen to me, folks, today the modern church doesn't want to be inconvenienced, let alone be crucified. And we will never impact our world until we're willing to lay everything else down and take up our cross and follow him. It's that simple. Any other kind of Christianity is a fraud. Yes, I'm saved by grace. Yes, salvation is free. But I want you to know, when you listen to Jesus, it includes cross-bearing. By the way, Jesus was not a numerical hit in the first century. He preached to thousands. He healed many. He fed thousands. But when he died, he had a handful of followers. There are a lot of people nowadays who are willing to get in on the church thing. But there's a big stretch between getting in on the church thing and becoming a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you this morning an opportunity to trust Jesus.
few moments ago when, when I started this message, I gave you 